The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Amy, that's Lisa, and we're just two girls that want to have a conversation with you. Dear 16-year-old Andrea. Hey, gorgeous. Dear younger Lauren. Each episode is stories from people. I would deprive myself, weigh myself obsessively. Because I was eating healthy, I couldn't understand that I had a problem with food. Losing my period scared me the most. My story starts when I was around seven. That's when I started to hate my body. Body image is like our inner picture of our outer self. Healthy behaviors play a much bigger role in our health than the actual number on the scales. Internal dialogue can be so powerful and often it's super negative and critical in a way that we wouldn't talk to other people that we care about. When you start to share your story, that gives other people the courage to share theirs. I know you would be proud now of how far you have come in your relationship to food, exercise, and to yourself. I felt freedom. I've gained relationships. I've found my true sense of self-worth. There's one thing I need you to take away from this. You're going to be okay. Okay, we are so excited to have Jennifer Anderson on today. Now, Jennifer, I've been following you on Instagram for hmm, a while now, probably for sure since I became a mom. And I'm a new mom in the last three years, but I have older children. So I adopted from Haiti. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, do the whole uh, breastfeeding or <laughs> milk phase. I went right. straight into like, how can we nourish these kids' bodies? And and plus they were coming from a, a different culture, a different country. I didn't know how to introduce them to certain foods that they had never had before. Mm-hmm. And I just love, love, loved the way you present it on 
Instagram, which is how I found you. Now I know you have a website, kidseatingcolor.com, and you're a registered dietitian, you're a wife, you're a mom. So you get it. Not only is this your career, but you have children and you just simplify everything for those of us that have picky eaters, we don't get it, or maybe they're not even picky, but it's like, how do you not create unhealthy food habits with your children? Because that's a layer of parenting too. Not only do we want to get nutritious food in their body, but also we want them to have a healthy relationship with them. So thank you for being here with us today because I consider you an expert in this. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. If moms are listening or you're a mom-to-be like Lisa, she doesn't have kids yet, but she plans to in the future, when it comes to feeding your kids, it can just be really stressful. So how can we alleviate some of that stress? Like when you wake up in the morning and you're trying to put something together, I mean, is that top of mind to you? Like how can I make this a less stressful event for people? Yeah. As a mom, I think that's my top of mind thing every day. How do I make this day less stressful for myself? <laughs> because feeding kids is tricky. It's it's hard and it happens like anywhere from three to six times a day. I mean, they, they have to eat so much and the little ones, you know, more so. So the recommendation I have for making feeding kids less stressful is to tell kids they don't have to eat it and to just be really firm, you know? I'm not going to make something else, but also you definitely don't have to eat it. And when you develop a culture around your table that gives kids the ability to choose whether to eat and how much they're going to eat, that really changes the game for you as the parent because you stop trying to get yourself involved in their job, which is to open their mouth and put food in it and swallow it and that sort of thing. Like that's, that's really not your job. But your job is to make those balanced meals and to include foods that you know your kids are familiar with and that sort of thing so that they can learn to eat foods. But as soon as you start getting involved in their job where you're like, oh, eat three bites or uh, you have to eat this or you have to try this. Now, some families do create a culture of trying foods that is positive and, and very low pressure. But many families, it's like, try this food, try this food. And, and everybody's blood pressure is just going up and up and up. And mealtimes can be so stressful when you're having those battles. But when you tell kids, oh, that's okay, you don't have to eat it, it totally changes the game. So yeah, and I heard you say in there that you just stay firm. And I think as parents, anytime you're delivering anything to your kids, I'm again doing a lot of learning myself, whether it's food or anything, Mm -hmm. they do enjoy choices, but not too many. We can't overwhelm them. More like you get this or this. And when you're presenting something to them so that you don't end up like a short order chef, like trying to cook mm-hmm. a bunch of different things for people, you just in a calm, firm way, this is what we're having. Right. That's just a side note. for, And that could be in anything that you're doing in parenting for good That's communication true. skills, especially about something as important as food. So how can parents help their kids eat more veggies? Obviously, what you just said is a tip too, but is there ways that we can like encourage it and sneak it in there more? So the number one way to get kids to eat veggies is to serve them a lot. You can serve veggies with every single meal and snack. Like you don't have to just wait for dinner time to serve vegetables. And the more kids see vegetables and the more they expect them to be there, the more comfortable they begin to feel. They're more likely to try them. They're more likely to taste them. The more they taste them, the more they are likely to learn to like them. And ideally, you would also be eating a lot of vegetables in front of your child. So that's the other thing. If your child never sees a vegetable and never sees you eat a vegetable, 
guess what? They're never going to eat a vegetable. <laughs> it's just not possible. But if you have found a way to incorporate fruits and veggies into your meal routine throughout the day, it's just going to be a normal food to them. And they're going to go through phases where they may eat a lot and you may have a picky eater. And picky eaters notoriously do not like vegetables. That has been observed. So with those kids, we often need more advanced techniques, like what I cover in my Better Bites program, where we're learning to do specific food play and we're learning to get kids closer to the food, kind of pushing their edge of comfort while still maintaining that respect of no pressure. So there are situations for about 25% of the kids where they're gonna need more help to eat vegetables, but for the other 75% of the kids, they are able to learn to like things over time the more they see them. Do you think that there's a psychological component regarding the language that parents use around the vegetable, like kind of making it, you know, eat these three bites of healthy broccoli so that you can have the dessert later? Like, do you think that if we didn't put the healthy food on this pedestal or tell them that it's healthy or that it's the harder thing to eat, but we should eat it? Obviously, there are some kids that really don't find the taste palatable. But do you think there's a psychological component to it that us parents or parents-to-be or maybe we just have kids around us can bring to the table to change that? Yeah, absolutely. The more you draw attention to vegetables as good for you and all that sort of thing, the less your child, well, you know, I don't like to stereotype because kids are all so different. But for a big chunk of kids, if you say this broccoli is good for you, they're going to be like, Hmm, well, I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> this is healthy. Well, then I'm not going to eat it. Right. And then, and then they hear candy is bad for you. <laughs> like, well, I'm definitely going to eat that because it's delicious. So the more we add on these labels to food, healthy, unhealthy, good, bad, you know, the labels that go with sugar, poisonous, addictive, like all these things. I mean, the more we label foods, the harder it becomes for children to just eat vegetables without any strings attached. I once talked on my Instagram stories about intentionally eating more vegetables for a specific health condition at the recommendation of this dietitian that I was working with. And someone sent me a DM and said, how much weight are you losing? And I, I said, well, I'm not I'm not doing this to lose weight. Like this is not even kind of related to weight. This is related to a specific health thing. And she said, oh, I don't even know how to think about that. Like in her mind, vegetables are a diet mm -hmm. food. And often we pass it on to their kids. Like moms will say, oh, I'm trying to lose my baby weight. And so I'm only going to have salad at dinner time. And they'll say something like that at the dinner table. And next thing you know, you'll see kids as young as three who are saying, oh, I need to go on a diet and lose some weight because they're, they're really just mimicking their parent. And then they may say, I need to eat vegetables, right? We don't want to attach that to vegetables. I mean, vegetables are this wonderful life-giving food that is wonderful for everyone. I don't want my boys growing up thinking this is some sort of girl diet food to eat a salad. I want them to know that this is something that helps their body fight off disease. It helps their body heal cuts. It helps feed their the bugs in their gut, which help them fight off you know illnesses. I want them to know all those things so that they can grow up and justify to their friends why they eat salads. In fact, one of my messages for carrots is carrots help you see in the dark? That's because they're rich in vitamin A. Vitamin A is necessary for night vision. 
And uh, one time we were at this, uh, at a pool and I had some carrots out there and my kids were eating carrots and another kid came up and said, ew, carrot. I can't believe you're eating carrots. And my son was about four at the time and he looked at him and he's like, they helped me see in the dark. And, and then he offered the kid some carrots and the other kid was like, oh, really? And he started eating <laughs> carrots. So, I mean, obviously that was like a once in a lifetime situation, <laughs> but that's kind of what we want to do with our kids. We want to give them information that they can use later. What's a good age that we can start incorporating that information that goes with the vegetable to the child? So not talking about weight in any means, but by talking about vision or bone strength, or I've heard people say run fast, you know, when talking about eating enough, Mm -hmm. like what's a good age to start incorporating that language? I think as soon as they're verbal, I think even pre-verbal, you know, because the more you talk, the better it is for the the kids, right? (laughs) So as soon as they're able to put things together, you can just kind of say, oh, so I for preschoolers, I really like to simplify things. And I, the way that I do that is by just attaching a color of vegetable and fruit to a function in the body. It's highly simplified because obviously every vegetable that's red doesn't do exactly the same thing, but it's great to make those connections with two and three-year-olds where you're saying, oh, red things help your heart, blue and purple things help your brain orange things help you see in the dark. You know, those sorts of messages, really basic. I think you can start right away because three-year-olds think that stuff is cool. And two-year-olds, I mean, they're still figuring (laughs) stuff out, but (laughs) but it's never too young. I will just say that, yeah, sure, it's great for preschoolers and kids if you're working with them, but I think you posted that chart on Instagram. I'm sure you have multiple times, but I saw it one day and grabbed it and I shared it on my podcast for adults to hear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it can be for two or three-year-olds, but it also can be for 30 or 40 or 50-year-olds that never learn to properly think about food in that manner. So I think while you're teaching parents and uh, speaking a language they can understand for their kids, I feel like as an adult, even if I didn't have kids, I benefit from following your account because there's so much wisdom. And obviously I wasn't raised by parents that approached food the way you did. And I was surrounded by other things that caused me to develop all sorts of unhealthy habits. So what are some common mistakes that parents are you see some parents make who mean well, but they actually end up causing harm. Kind of like what happened to me, just getting introduced to diet culture too young. Sure. I think this is really common because many of us were raised in a feeding environment that had kind of come out of the, the depression years and the war years and those sorts of things. And so things like you have to clean your plate and you have to take a bite of everything. There was a lot of control and it did serve a purpose for parents during a rough time in our culture. But now the food system has changed. The food itself has changed. The food processing has changed. So much has changed. And now we have access to like really large amounts of low cost, low nutrient dense foods. And so as the food system has changed, now as parents, we actually have to help our kids be more protective of their hunger and fullness cues than mm-hmm. previous generations of parents. Because our kids may be exposed to tons and tons and tons of, of birthday parties in school, whereas 100 years ago, that just was not happening. So what I recommend to parents, especially if they find themselves in these cycles of clean your plate, take three bites to get dessert. You earn dessert. 
you have to be forced to eat your vegetables. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of force. And every time we force a kid to clean their plate, we tell them, you know what? You don't know how hungry you are. I know how hungry you are. And they are trained then to say, okay, well, whatever's on my plate, that person knows what I need and I'm going to eat it. And then they go to a restaurant and then there's, you know, a double-sized portion of food. And there's like actual emotional angst for them to either leave anything on the plate. And then there's physical angst if they eat it all. And then they've eaten twice as much as they would actually want to or feel comfortable with, but they feel this guilt that they then need to feed the plate. And next thing you know, they're eating more than their body needs. And so when we're really pushing our kids Although in the moment, it often seems helpful, especially if you have a kid who's struggling to gain weight, or maybe you have a kid who the doctor said something about weighing too much and you feel like you need to pressure them to eat less. Whenever we pressure the kids, we take away some of their ability to listen to whether they are hungry and full. Now, I know how hard this is. I have a son who you know, didn't gain weight well and the pediatrician was concerned for years. I mean, this has been a long-term issue. Is he gaining enough weight? Is he not? Is he, you know? And so I had to go through a lot of this angst where I would, I mean, one time my husband was like, can't we just tell him he needs to eat more? And I said, I don't think the evidence supports that. I think, I think we shouldn't. I think we should just continue to let him make that choice. And that's really hard. That's really hard as parents. And sometimes we may make changes to the food itself, but we still have to help our kids learn to listen to their bodies. That is one of the most helpful gifts in health that they can have long-term is to listen to whether they are hungry and full. And that's a learning process, by the way. You know, kids take years to develop that skill often, and then that can help them be healthy long-term. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been around my niece, who's now six years old, and I've watched her eat two bites of dinner and, you know, just get totally distracted. And my sister-in-law is kind of in this place where, you know, she doesn't want her to go to bed hungry and she doesn't want her to find out that she's hungry and be uncomfortable two hours later, you know, when she's in bed or wake up in the middle of the night hungry. And I see how how hard it is to be a parent when you, quote unquote, know better and you want to help your child. Mm-hmm. I can see much more easily secondhand how the desire to want to help your child learn how much they need is very difficult when the child doesn't know that they're going to be going to sleep and they're going to need a little extra food for that. So is mm-hmm. there like a gentle approach that parents can take when their child just is refusing dinner? But, you know, I think dinner is kind of this critical one because it's not an opportunity mm-hmm. to eat an hour later when the kids go to bed. Like, is there a gentle right. assistance that a parent can give a child or absolutely not let them find out that they need food and the next day they'll, you know, make up for it? Yeah. So there's there's a couple things here. Dinner is tricky. One reason is I think a lot of people were raised with going to bed hungry as a punishment. Mm. And they were told, I'm not going to give you dinner. You have to go to bed hungry. So there's this really deep visceral like disgust of that and fear that we would be hurting a child if they quote went to bed hungry. The other thing is a lot of kids are actually too tired to eat, quote, eat well at the end of the day. And dinner is almost always for toddlers, like their worst meal of the day. They're going to eat the least amount because they're tired and they just need to go to bed and then wake up in the morning having a big breakfast. So breakfast is often the place where they're going to really bulk up. You can feed them veggies at that time of day. They'll be really hungry, all that stuff. So for a family in this situation, another thing that I see is the family says, okay, here's dinner. The kid doesn't eat dinner. And then right before bed, the kid says, I want a snack. And then they get a granola bar. 
or some pretzels or something that's processed, tasty. And they're like, oh, I don't have to eat dinner and then I can get a snack. And it's just their way of getting a snack. I mean, yay, fun. Like mommy fed me pretzels before bed. Um, now I don't have anything against pretzels, but we want kids eating dinner, not pretzels. Ideally, I think a lot of parents would agree with that. And my kids have a bedtime snack just based on how our schedule works and my kids' needs and that sort of thing. So your child may need a bedtime snack. And this is especially true if they are often waking up in the middle of the night hungry. And by often, I mean several times a week for a couple weeks. If that's the situation, then after dinner, you can give a bedtime snack. It should not be exciting. It should be nutrient dense and it should be, be something that's like, you know, quote, healthy. And it's something that wouldn't motivate them to not eat dinner so that they could get their snack. But the thing is, like, if you're always making them that thing after the meal, then they just know they don't have to eat dinner. They can wait for the thing that they want more. So you have to decide, is a bedtime snack right for your child? If it is, fine, serve the bedtime snack, regardless of what happens at dinner. But if it's not, then is your time to teach your child that dinner is the last time of the day. And if they don't eat, that is totally their choice. And if they have a sensation of hunger, that's okay. That's not going to be damaging to the child in any way, shape, or form. And then maybe they'll wake up a little early because they're hungrier. You feed them a big breakfast, and then you move on with your day. Most kids figure this out super quickly, and they just need the firm leadership of a parent to say, this is what's happening, and this is when food's available. Calm and firm. Yeah. Uh, right. So let's talk about strategic exposure, because again, I love that this is for kids, but adults could use this too. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you post it multiple times of like just dropping cute little M&Ms in the tray. I mean, just share with people what that means and how it can create a healthier relationship with candy or dessert and sure. not making it such a deserved thing or a, oh my gosh, I can't believe you ate that kind of a thing. Cause that's what happens as we're adults. And I've done it to my kid. Like I'm a different mom than I was three years ago around food because I'm a different person mm -hmm. around food. I am now in recovery. When I first got my kids, I was knee deep in disordered eating and an eating disorder. So it was all kinds of things that now sometimes I hear them say and I oh shoot, right. I know. And I'm trying to undo, undo, undo. And so now I don't freak out as much or really as all, all about things, but I freaked out about candy when they first got here, like you would not believe. So I was the worst example of strategic exposure. <laughs> I just didn't allow it. Right. And that's, that's actually super common. It's not just you. So I think there is a lot of fear mongering around sugar and candy and, and, you know, partially for good reason, because a lot of kids are consuming way too much sugar for them to be healthy. Right. But a little sugar here and there, you know, eating birthday cakes and celebrating things and having some ice cream with dinner and, you know, these sorts of things, they can be included in a healthy diet and we can still enjoy these things, but in moderation, but we have to show kids what that looks like. So with really little kids, they just kind of like go with the minimum portion that they feel okay about. So with a two-year-old, now ideally like little kids, we're not giving them any sugar, but as they get a little older, then they, they notice that you're having it and they want some too. So with like a two-year-old, maybe I'll put like two M&Ms on the plate or with a three-year-old, maybe three M&Ms. Now, of course, three M&Ms isn't going to work for my seven-year-old now, but he is going to need a, a little bigger pile, right? But as they grow, you kind of know the amount that they feel good with. And I like to serve dessert alongside a meal with a kid, especially if there's some sort of obsession or interest developing. If my kids are like, oh my gosh, Oreos. I heard about Oreos. I want Oreos, Oreos, Oreos. And I'm like, okay, I got to eat some Oreos. And then we serve them, 
you know, maybe three days, two, three days in a row, Oreo with the meal, with lunch. And then next thing you know, they're not asking about Oreos. They've had their Oreos. And we haven't had Oreos in two years since because they haven't come up again. But we have ice cream uh, for dessert a couple times a week, you know. I loved how you simply put it on your Instagram that open restriction leads to obsession of the food. I want that food. I need that food. Anytime there is that food, they have that scarcity mindset. They're going to eat it all. And strategic exposure leads to that food being no big deal that you put it perfectly. We don't have to serve it all the time. Like we just don't. We can serve it a few times a week. And kids can get this like, oh yeah, I have cookies, but also it was right alongside my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and my carrots and my apples and food is food. We're not using it as a bribe, as a reward, like not even as an adult, like if you go work out, don't reward yourself with cookies, reward yourself with a full meal. You know, you're welcome to include a cookie with that if you want, but we don't earn our food. We are people, we need food, we need to nourish ourselves. And in our societies, we have foods that contain, that are sweet, and we can enjoy those foods as part of our diet in moderation. I love that you're part of helping us change the conversation and you're doing it on the most important level at the beginning Mm -hmm. where it starts with kids because we have to raise the future generations differently. And I appreciate you so much. Quickly before we wrap, I want to make sure we say your Instagram because the website is kidseatandcolor.com, but in Instagram, there's a period between each thing. So it's kids.com eat dot in dot color. So I want to make sure people know how to find you. I want to talk about vegetables one more time because I know you said uh, exposure is the best thing we can do. Just vegetables showing up in Mm -hmm. morning, lunch, night, the more they see it, the more they're likely to eat it. So how do you feel about sneaking stuff in without them knowing. I'm thinking it might defeat the purpose of them knowing like what's going on in their body. But if some parents try to be sneaky with it, what are your thoughts on that? Here's the thing about sneaking. So if they can't see it, they can't smell it, they can't taste it, it's not an exposure. Now they do get some of the nutrients from it, but it doesn't really count as an exposure. That's not going to help them learn to eat it because they don't even know they were eating it. Um, The other thing is if you have a picky eater and you're sneaking food, you risk a loss of trust with your child and an absolute flat out losing that food entirely if they find out that you've adulterated it. So I actually don't use sneaking at all. I've done it accidentally a couple of times. It's really backfired, but there are so many other things that you can do rather than sneak. I, I love getting kids in the kitchen. Hey, how about you help me make this smoothie? They put it all in there and then they can't see it. They can't smell it. They can't taste it, but they know they put that in there and that the knowing part and the putting it in, that was a great exposure. And then, you know, help me make this. And then the more we can get kids involved in tasting, smelling, touching foods, the more they are likely to learn to like them and the more that they show up. So like my Real Easy Weekdays meal plan, that's a rotation menu. Like those things show up all the Mm -hmm. time. And as kids see them over and over and over, they're like, oh my gosh, purple cabbage. Ah, I've seen that a whole bunch of times in the past month. Eh, Maybe I'll just taste it this time, you know. Interesting. I remember when we had Caitlin Denae on, who's in in Washington, D.C., actually. She's a trainer. And she talked about trainers that motivate their clients by saying, you know, do this push up to earn your food or whatever it was. Right. So she called it lazy training. And again, I'm not a parent, so no judgment to any parent. But just given how you just framed using that technique, it's almost like lazy 
feeding because you are going to get the child to eat a nutrient. Yes. You know, you are going to get somebody to do a push up. But have you taught them anything about what that means for their own body or let them experience this deep wisdom and connection to either, you know, their strength in her example or the food in your example? Right. And so, yes, it's tricky. It's you tricky. Know? It's tricky. Um, it is. It is so hard. And you can go for the short gains and you can pressure your kid and you can get them to eat healthier in the short run if you're kind of cramming it down your throat, that is for sure. But there's also this opportunity for the long wins of how can I teach my kid to really trust themselves and learn to eat foods for themselves and learn to like healthy foods on their own timeline. And that's where you see these really long-term gains of health and and confidence and learning to like healthy food. And that's where I have my money. And that's the the connection. You're forming a deep connection to the food, which, you know, I personally didn't have growing up because as born in the late 80s, 90s, it was a lot of like TV dinners. And, and I didn't grow mm-hmm. up in a diet household by any means, but I was just so disconnected to food, the process, the growing, seeing it regularly. And I think when it's part of your normalcy, there's like a beautiful familiarity to it and peacefulness that comes with it. Yeah. And again, I think that that's true for kids. Or if you're listening right now and you don't have kids and you're 30, 40 years old and you're like, I don't have a connection to food, really. It's never too late. So I guess I'll just piggyback off of what Jennifer was saying and get in the kitchen, touch some foods, mm-hmm. go to the grocery store, feel things out, get grab some color. Yeah. So uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. You're a very much needed, important guest. So we just thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you so much. It was so wonderful to be here. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 